Greetings Northlings and welcome to Haunted Up North, the jam hot podcast dedicated to the telling of real life paranormal experiences from the north of the UK. I'm your host Victoria and I really hope you find yourselves scintillated, scared and most importantly entertained by the spectral tales I'm about to tell you today. We've got lots to get through in this episode, okay? So it's Chop Chop City, listeners, because we're off to York and it's a biggie, because we're going to be talking about its haunted pubs. And if you're in the know about York and all its haunted pubs, you'll know there's going to be a lot of things to talk about. If you're not in the know, I shall explain forthwith. But first, the reason we're heading to York today is because Helen from York, Twitter handle Helen909King, Lions, Tigers and Bears, oh my, has sent me some doorstep ghost stories and seeing as York is her family's home city and also seeing as York's just a really cool old city to talk about on a paranormal podcast, that's why we're having today one flipping big York fest. So Helen, hello, we're dedicating this episode to you. I hope you're listening and that you're happy with that and that you're happy with what you hear. And thank you for being such a spooky sport and sending in your stories. We'll be reading your doorstep ghost tales out at the end, so stay with us for the grand finale, and I hope I do them justice with my face. Did you know that Yorkie bars are originally from York? Question mark. (laughs) That's genuinely why they're called Yorkies. Yorkshire Terriers are not all originally from York, even though we call those Yorkies. But Yorkie bars, however, are. They used to be made by round trees and are a product of the 1970s, launched as, and this is a quote from Wikipedia, a chunkier competitor to Cadbury's dairy milk. It also says the Yorkie bar has historically been marketed towards men. I remember that era. I remember when the adverts used to say they weren't for girls, specifically. But I think girls are allowed to eat them now, so that's a bit of a relief, isn't it? No more secret darkened alleyway Yorkie bar nibblings for me. But yeah, before they were bought by Nestle, Yorkie bars were made by York-based confectionery business Roundtrees, and the Yorkie bar has since gone on to inspire the Pet Shop Boys song, The Truck Driver and His Mate, and it was also mentioned, the Yorkie bar, in the very first episode of the British political satire sitcom Yes Minister, as well as the 15th episode of Paranormal Podcast Haunted Up North. Did you like my facts about Yorkie bars? I read them out in a way that I certainly didn't rehearse. For anyone who doesn't know where York is, it's in the north of England, North Yorkshire in fact, and it's one of the oldest cities in England with some of the longest standing buildings, such as Yorkminster, which is a huge cathedral and I have to say my very favourite cathedral, the original wooden church version having been founded in 627, 627, with the current huge gothic structure you see today being completed in 1472, after literally centuries of building from the mid-12th century onwards. York has also got Clifford's Tower, which is a 13th century stone tower and the largest remaining building left of York Castle, and a substantial portion of 13th century city walls that you can walk along. It's just got loads of awesome old quirky buildings in it as York, with lots of atmospheric pedestrian alleyways, perfect for eating undercover Yorkie bars in. 
probably why there are so many of them. These alleyways, they're very much like the closes that you get in Edinburgh, except in York, you call them snickleways. How amazing is that? You can't get any more Harry Potter than that, can you? But a central feature of York, along with all that stuff, is the Shambles, which is a narrow medieval street with lots of lovely little shops on it, and the buildings there are so aged that the tops are sort of leaning over the street in a way that makes you think that one day in the future they'll probably be able to kiss each other. Although it is Roman in origin, York is most well known historically for its Viking connections, as in 867 they took it, the Vikings took it from the Anglo-Saxons, who'd taken it over after the Romans left it in the 5th century, when it was the then capital of the Kingdom of Northumbria. And they created the Kingdom of Jorvik when they took it, which was centred around York. York remained under Viking control under 1910. No, it didn't. It was... (laughs) <laughs> it was nine, nine, 910, 910 when the Anglo-Saxons took it back. The Vikings claimed it again until 954 when it was subjected to the rule of Wessex, which was an Anglo-Saxon kingdom in the south of Britain. So if you notice lots of Viking-related paraphernalia around as you're visiting York and you don't know what it's for, it's basically because of that. There's a Viking festival every summer where people dress up as Vikings, talk about Vikings, and march around like Vikings. Minus the ramping. Ooh! (laughs) No. Uh, Well, no, no, it's not ramping. They didn't build lots of speed bumps. (laughs) I didn't mean ramps, I spelt it wrong. I meant all the... Oh, it sounds bad saying it now. I meant all the raping and pillaging. If that's really what real-life Vikings did. I wasn't there, so I'll never know for sure. But it's quite a sight to behold, if you ever fancy having a look for yourself. The festival, I mean. Not the strange scenario of going back in time and watching Vikings build speed bumps whilst pillaging. Aside from Viking festivals, cathedrals, walls and castle bits, in York you'll find there's a train station, a university, theatres, a Betty's, which is an infamous Betty's tea room, and of course, it's got many, many pubs. Legend has it that York has one pub for every day of the year, which means it's got at least 365 pubs, so you could go in a different pub every day for a whole year in York and not go to the same pub twice. If we're talking about facts, I actually don't know if that is genuinely a fact. I think it's more of a local rumour more than anything. But there are a lot of pubs within the city walls of York where the Laura Laura ghosts, and I'm going to tell you about some of them now. This is basically going to be a list of stories about haunted pubs in York, so I hope you're prepared for just a long list of ghosts right now. (laughs) I haven't been out in York since before the pandemic, but I do have a few firm York drinking establishment favourites, such as Evil Eye, House of Trembling Madness, The Guy Fawkes, The Maltings, and The Black Swan, which we'll mention later. I won't be listing every single haunted York pub, and chances are I'll miss a few famous stories out, so if you have a favourite haunted York pub, or some stories to tell about the ones mentioned today, let me know about it or them at hauntedupnorth at gmail.com. Right, shut up now, everybody stop talking and listen to me. I'm going to start with the Golden Fleece, because it's right at the bottom of the shambles, which I've just mentioned, on a street called simply Pavement and it's widely considered to be the most haunted pub in York. 
There's a skeleton, or there was a skeleton, sitting at the end of the bat bar inside the Golden Fleece the last few times I've been in. He probably died waiting to be served. Probably not, because I don't think it's a real skeleton. However, there is a real skull inside the Golden Fleece. It was actually stolen earlier this year, but has since been returned, and it's the skull of Elizabeth Johnson, who in 1800, in the parish of Pontefract, was found guilty of, and I quote, uttering a forged £1 banknote with intent to defraud the Bank of England. Haven't you got enough money, the Bank of England, that you can let Elizabeth off this £1 indiscretion? Although I read somewhere she'd actually been caught eating a Yorkie bar as well, so, you know. But poor Elizabeth, she was hanged for her crimes and became the last person ever to be executed in York. That's quite early, isn't it, 1800s, to stop hanging people in a district. They were hanging people left, right and centre in the UK up until the 60s, 1960s. But for over 200 years since Elizabeth's hanging, her skull has been on display in the Golden Fleece pub, apart from during the time when it was briefly stolen. Hang on a minute. Huh? Ugh. I've, di- I've just read that the skull is actually a replica. A replica of the skull of Elizabeth Johnson. That's the angle the fleece has been going with since users on social media got upset at the thought of real human remains being on display, which is fair enough. But how does a replica work then? If you're going to have a replica of the skull of someone real, you could literally have a skull of anyone in the world, couldn't you? And say it was their skull. Like, uh, I don't know, Frankie Howard. Or <laughs> Ivor the Boneless. Although a skull's one big bone, isn't it? Ivor the Boneless had a skull. Replica or nay, it's, it's creepy anyway, isn't it? And another thing that's creepy about the Golden Fleece Inn on pavement in York is that it's had a hotbed of hauntings during its 500-year-long existence. Guests who've spent the night in this pub have experienced a range of disturbing phenomena such as mysterious footsteps, cold prods rudely awaking them in the middle of the night, (laughs) bedsheets being pulled from their bodies and clothing being thrown upon the floor. There are rumoured to be a total of 14, even though some sources say 15, 14 or 15 spectres living inside this quirky, narrow building, the most famous of which is the ghost of Lady Alice Peckett, wife of John Peckett, who was mayor of York from 1701 to 1702, and one-time owner of the fleece. Guests and staff have reported seeing her apparition wandering the hotel corridors, walking up and down the staircases with loud heavy footsteps, and even moving furniture about in the small hours of the morning. A ghost named One-Eyed Jack has been seen in the bottom bar, I think that's the bat bar with the skeleton in, wearing a 16th century red cloak, a tri-cornered hat and wig, and carrying a pistol, where the spirit of a young boy who was thought to have been accidentally trampled to death by horses after running outside, has also been seen. In the bottom bar again, the small grey figure of a grumpy old man is regularly sighted, sitting hunched in an alcove, uttering a series of quiet grumbles, which immediately stop whenever a member of staff approaches. A phantom woman dressed in black often appears inside a room named St Catherine's Room, Roman soldiers have been sighted inside the cellar, and the ghost of a Second World War Canadian pilot named Jeff Munro, who, after a night of heavy drinking, fell fatally from a third floor window of room 4, has awoken guests staying in that very room by standing over them in the dark hours, 
wearing full military uniform. Ghost hunter Suzanne Taggart, co-founder of Paranormal Research Team UK Shadow Seekers, during a 2007 investigation of the Golden Fleece, took a photograph of what appears to be an unexplained shadowy figure standing behind the counter of the bottom bar. She described the shape as very creepy and deeply unsettling, explaining, in her own words, When I took the photograph, I made sure that nobody was behind the bar, because I was actually taking a picture of how good the bar looked. At the last moment, the barmaid entered the frame on the left, but there doesn't appear to be any way she could have cast a shadow like the one seen in the picture, and she later confirmed there was no one behind the bar with her. I can't fathom it out, neither can the people we've shown it to. A friend of mine analysed the picture and said there was no light penetrating the shadow. It was just a dense, black shape. Suzanne goes on to speculate that this photo could be evidence of the spirit of a former landlord who hung himself, and workers at the pub have described themselves as feeling their necks tighten whilst working behind the bar, with the additional phenomena of watching glasses inexplicably fling themselves from various shelves and surfaces. A spokesman for the Golden Fleece, I don't know who, but a spokesperson for the pub who was once featured on paranormal reality TV show Most Haunted, speaking about the unusual occurrences taking place within the establishment, had this to say. It is no surprise that people who live and work in the Golden Fleece have had some hair-raising tales to tell. In fact, several of them have described how their hair was pulled as if by invisible hands, there are a number of accounts of staff who have felt a sudden tightening around their neck while standing at the bar, the very bar where, it is said, an earlier landlord killed himself. In addition to these sightings, there have been numerous other disturbing occurrences reported over the years. Doors banging, mysterious footsteps on the stairs, strange lights, cold spots, temperature changes, candles that light themselves, beds that move, and doors that slam. Landlord Steph Yates also said, The most scary thing is that the ceiling above the bar is a false ceiling, and there is a hook hidden above there. That is where the landlord is supposed to have hanged himself. Suzanne Taggart also captured, during the same investigation, during, you know, the same investigation that she took a picture of the bar and there was a strange figure standing behind it, she also captured a recording of what sounds like a little girl's voice saying, Now I will show you, alongside a series of spooky taps, the content for which doesn't seem to be available anymore online, so if anyone can find it, or Suzanne, if you're listening, please let us know where it is. But I will share the shadowy bar figure of the supposed landlord apparition, so you can have a look at that with your eyes. A chunkier competitor to Cadbury's Dairy Milk. Shall we move on to another pub in our Haunted Up North Haunted York Pubs pub crawl? Yeah! Ye Old Star Inn on Stonegate is pretty difficult to miss as there's a big wooden sign stretching across the entire width of the street that says Ye Old Star Inn. Star spelled with two R's and an E at the end. Um, as you come up to it. Ye Old Star Inn dates all the way back to 1644, with some historians believing that the cellar beneath is even older than that, perhaps even 10th century. Wowzer trousers. 
In this cellar, during the English Civil War, royalist soldiers were treated when the inn was used as a makeshift hospital, and to this day, screams and groans are often still heard as though emanating from unseen bodies suffering from pain. An old lady apparition wearing black clothes, who no one can guess the identity of, is often seen moving about the old star inn staircase. And the ghosts of two black cats whose bodies are said to have been bricked up alive, no, sorry, bricked up alive in the pillar between the bar and the door are said to haunt this area. On several occasions, customers, accompanied by dogs, have witnessed their pets abruptly growl, snarl, and even throw themselves at the pillar in which the two cats were supposed to be buried, with one dog even knocking itself out in the process. Stupid. One review I found on TripAdvisor, entitled Haunted, by Traveller25165296064, says... Went into the pub for a drink on Halloween. Glass slid across the table without any explanation. Tried to debunk it, but couldn't as the table was stable and dry. No possible explanation for this. Um, yes there is, Traveller 25165296064. It was a ghost. Obviously. But thanks for that, that's cool. Next, I'm going to tell you a bit about the cock and bottle at 61 Skeldergate, so you better enjoy it and like what I tell you, okay? The cock and bottle isn't as old as the other pubs that we've talked about. It's more 1980s than 1680s, although I've no idea in which century or decade it was built, but it's most certainly a much newer building. This doesn't mean, however, that it doesn't have its own fair share of ghosts. A landlady of the pub, now I've talked about a similar haunting on Patreon in the Ten Bells pub episode, which talks not just about the ghosts inside the notorious Ten Bells Jack the Ripper associated pub in Whitechapel, but I also tell a few scary stories about haunted London pubs, and there was a tale in there, I can't remember which pub it was, that was very similar to this story I'm about to tell you now. But in the Cock and Bottle, at 61 Skeldergate, York, There's an account from a former landlady who, in the 1970s, fell victim to a spectral peeping Tom who disturbed her while she was having a shower in an obvious state of undress. Just as she was drying off, she experienced a sensation of something unseen running up the inside of her leg, and when she looked up, startled, she spotted the figure of a man with long black hair and a white shirt laughing at her from inside the bathroom mirror. This green-clothed, smartly-dressed, peeping Tom of a manifestation is thought to be the ghost of George Villers, one-time Duke of Buckingham and an English politician and poet who fought with the Royalist Army during the Civil War before retiring to York to work as an alchemist, operating from a site upon which the cock and bottle now stands. Due to being a man of scandalous reputation, he was, by 1674, dismissed from the king's favour, and his apparition is described as malevolent, ugly, with wavy black hair and a large nose, and he's been seen on numerous occasions watching ladies in the female-only toilets. Many women have complained of the lavatory lights suddenly going out and an icy hand touching them in the darkness. According to Bump in the Night blog, Alan Jackson, a previous owner and manager of the pub, whilst residing in a flat upstairs, heard unusual noises emanating through the walls of his bedroom, 
but after a thorough investigation found nothing untoward. The next morning, however, he found his windows and curtains standing wide open, even though the window had been painted shut some time before. One morning, he walked into his bedroom to find the curtains of his four-poster bed wrapped tightly around the posters, while during another unsettling early morning encounter, he discovered his kitchen kettle full of freshly boiled water when no one in the flat had even switched it on. Alan's partner experienced a series of cold and hot flashes one evening when he was closing out the till. When he looked up from his work, he saw the phantom of a man wearing a long black coat and hat with a feather in it, standing at the end of the bar. A few months after this, when a waitress returned from a holiday in Northumberland, she showed him a portrait she'd photographed in a ghost museum, and when he looked at it, he declared it was the very same man he'd encountered in the bar. The man inside the painting was none other than George Villers. The bit with the four-poster bed and the curtains wrapped around it reminds me of that photograph from the Enfield haunting investigation where Janet Hodgson is lying on a bed and her curtains and bedsheets are sort of moving about, seemingly on their own, and raveling themselves up into a kind of weird, freakish noose shape. I won't share that photo yet because we'll talk about that another time on another episode, but you can look at it online, type in those words that I've just said. But yeah, that bed story reminds me of that, and both those things remind me quite a lot of a sheet ghost, which is the scariest of all the ghost variations. You'll never get a ghost more scary than a sheet ghost. Ask any excellent supernatural horror and they'll confirm that this is fact. Like the scary sheet ghost child stroke old woman and the others, or like when Michael Myers puts that sheet over his head in Halloween. And even when Nancy's mate Tina in A Nightmare on Elm Street appears to her in a body bag, that's a good variation of the sheet ghost. I think depictions of sheet ghosts might have originated from the idea of ghosts appearing to their living in their body bags or body shrouds or something like that, but anyway, I do love a good sheet ghost. It's scary, because it looks like a ghost, but you don't technically know what's under the sheet either, so it's extra terrifying. There's a good M.R. James story called Whistle and I'll Come to You, which has got a good sheet ghost, and uh, I might make that my next bedtime tale to read out on Patreon. George Villers wrote that famous Georgie Porgy <laughs> nursery rhyme. You know, the one where Georgie Porgy makes girls cry by kissing them. I won't read it out because it's cringe, but, <laughs> but yeah, he wrote that accor according to the internet, or he's rumoured to have written it. Perhaps he wrote it about himself. Google it if you don't know what the rhyme is. I just can't bear to read it out on here. There's no way that's happening. I will tell you, however, another story about ghosts. In the Snickleway Inn at 47 Goodramgate, which in 1644 was used as a royalist magazine, all these English Civil War links, there's lots of them. Uh, there's another cat ghost named Seamus who is said to haunt the rooms within. His owner was a lady named Mrs. Tulliner, a widow who once ran the house, and he's now known to brush up against the legs of drinkers as they perch beside the bar. There's a little girl ghost who was run down by a horse, who's been seen sitting watching customers from the staircase steps, a woman who wanders about the upper gallery, an old man who walks through a wall in the back room where an old door used to be, who then moves along the passageway towards the bar and disappears just as he is about to sit down, and a phantom in a blue doublet also materialises behind the bar. 
The cellar of the Snickleway Inn, however, is where most of the building's paranormal activity occurs, a place where an extremely malevolent spirit resides. This entity is particularly fond of turning off gas taps, throwing tools and stones at unsuspecting members of staff, and a medium who once visited the property described it as being a creature of great age and intelligence, and surrounded by utter evil. On the top floor of the inn, a strong smell of lavender is often detected. Although the scent, when it manifests, is not identified as belonging to a particular ghost, it is thought it may be connected to centuries past practices of masking the smell of rotting corpses with that of lavender perfume, a notion that has led some to believe this particular phenomena may be connected to the plague. Again, on the upper floors of the Snickleway, the ghost of Marmaduke Buckle, a 17th century boy born into a wealthy family and afflicted with physical disabilities is said to haunt his old bedroom, where he eventually committed suicide as a result of extreme torment from his contemporaries. His ghost has been seen peering outside from behind the glass of his bedroom window, and it's thought he is responsible for the mysterious opening and closing of doors and light switching on and off in that area of the building. I don't like that story, it makes me really sad. Let's have a moment of silence for the ghost of Marmaduke Buckle. The Black Swan Pub, one of my faves, I have to say, because when I last went they did a massive fish and chips, and I mean, this thing was huge, and they also gave you bread and butter, but not just our bread and butter. 20,000 bread and butters, which I enjoyed. I don't know if they still do, I'll have to go again to find out, but basically that's one of the reasons I love it so much, and I also love it because it's particularly atmospheric. It was originally a 15th century merchant's mansion, and you can find it, should you wish to, on 23 Peasholm Green. The Black Swan is haunted by the figure of a man wearing a bowler hat who appears to be waiting impatiently for someone at the bar before his apparition slowly fades away and vanishes. The vision of a beautiful young lady, thought to be a jilted bride, is often witnessed sitting in the bar, staring sadly into the fire. And a pickpocket named Matthew is also frequently spotted there, and it's he who is thought to be responsible for the disappearance of various items that have gone missing from behind the bar. A highwayman named Jack, dressed in riding boots and a long black cloak, regularly startles staff by appearing in the kitchen a room which was built over the original stable yard, and he can also be heard singing along to Irish folk songs late at night. An elderly Victorian gentleman has been witnessed numerous times walking up and down the staircase, tutting at people as he goes, and a barmaid, whilst closing up late one night, followed a ghost up the stairs, believing it to be an overnight guest, only to find, when she reached the top of the stairs, that this person had completely vanished. A disembodied pair of legs. <laughs> I do like a story about a lone pair of disembodied ghost legs. A disembodied pair of legs have also been sighted walking up the stairs to the landlord's flat, and yet another black cat ghost is also said to wander about the carpets of the black swan. 
There was a black cat there when I last visited. It's apparently called Salem, if the cat is still knocking about, but I I think that was a real one, not a ghostly one. But the Black Swan website does say that some patrons have experienced confusion with regards to this feline phantom, thinking that it's Salem, only to find out that it's, it's not. Another thing I'm particularly fond of in the Black Swan is this very old clay pipe they have mounted on the wall by the fire that I love sitting next to and looking at whenever I'm in. This pipe was found during restoration work and it's said that when workmen originally found it, they threw it out only to find a weird chill descended on them. And they felt this overbearing sensation of fear until someone went to retrieve the pipe and then this feeling suddenly vanished. Which is why they've kept it mounted on the wall to discourage something like this from ever happening again. The last haunted York pub story collection I'll tell is related to a picture that my friend Joss sent me. I've mentioned Joss on here before. He's rather into ghosts like me. But he sent me a photo on Instagram of a post that had been uploaded to the White Swan pub feed and he just put underneath it, Cozy ghosts. I like this. And I do too, because it's a picture of uh, a pint of beer, but behind the pint of beer written on the wall beyond is a quote that reads, The old White Swan is said to be haunted by ghosts that stand around the open fire in the early hours sometimes relighting the fire after it has been extinguished. Cozy ghosts indeed. I like to think of them all standing there having a chat together when everyone has gone to bed. But there's a bigger story behind this quote, which I'll tell you about in a second, because I found upon further investigation that the White Swan's got some real good ghosts of its own, and this is what I discovered about them, and it. According to hauntedrooms.com, the Old White Swan is one of the oldest buildings in the city, and it's part of a collection of buildings dating back to the 16th century. Of course, like the rest of them. It is believed to be haunted by the ghosts of a group of papists who have been seen gathering around the fire in the early hours of the morning. The fire is often reignited by itself after staff have extinguished it shortly before. Other strange phenomena inside this pub includes the moving of furniture, which is sometimes even hurled across rooms, along with the sound of muffled voices and footsteps. There's a story from 2018 in the York Press that details an account of a photograph taken on a night out in the Old Swan by a lady named Kerry Smith Janowski, which shows a series of three pictures taken in quick succession, and in the second picture there's a figure of a man standing next to her friend Wayne, who she swears wasn't there at the time. Kerry is a paranormal sceptic, but she's at a loss to explain who the man in the photo could be. She said, I've got no idea who it is. It's just really strange. Where we took the photo, we were facing a wall, and there was no room for anyone to stand where the man, who we think is a ghost, is standing. Someone might recognise the man who is there, but it's just really weird to me. It's quite a strange photo, which I'll upload to the Haunted Up North social platforms, as usual, but there's the hazy form of what is inarguably the form of a man looking at the camera. So have a look and let us know, as always, what you think. Right. I hope you enjoyed those ghost stories from York. We'll most sure 
for deaths be visiting Yorkie Bobbingtons again, because just as you'd expect from a city so old with so much history attached to it, it's positively crawling with ghost matter, just like a scene from the very first Ghostbusters. Look out for another York-based Haunted Up North in the near future, but for now, we've got to move pretty swiftly on to some listener doorstep ghost stories. And this listener is, as I've mentioned earlier, at the very start of today's chapter, Helen from York. Hurrah! Helen very kindly sent us some terrifying tales for me to read out to you, which I'm convinced you will enjoy. She says she's always been a massive fan of the paranormal ever since she was a child, and even though she's become slightly more cynical as she's got older, she's all ears when it comes to personal encounters, especially those involving haunted houses, pubs, or hotels. Agreed. Helen's most recent haunted happening occurred whilst on a trip to Landudno in Wales a few months ago, and in her own words, from her own mind and tippy-tappy-typing fingers, this is what she had to say. I was sitting in a very quiet pub in an alcove opposite my boyfriend. The table had lots of decorative metal on the underside, so you couldn't reach underneath, so I was stunned when I felt a stroke on my knee. We were chatting and my mouth fell open. There was no one sat with us, and I know it wasn't my boyfriend who touched me. The pressure of someone's hand upon my knee stayed there for a few seconds, then there was a cold draught above us. The main door next to us was shut, and the window behind my boyfriend was too. A few minutes later, we warmed up again. We had just been saying how warm it was when we went in. I asked the guy behind the bar if he'd heard or experienced any spooky happenings in and around the pub, and he mentioned an incident where someone had smelt cigar smoke years before, but that was it. Filthy little hand. It wasn't Georgie Porgy, was it, Helen? Perhaps he'd hiked it all the way to Wales to slide into your table underneath and have his wicked way with your knee. This is Helen's second story. When I was in my twenties, I moved into a shared terraced house with a couple of friends. One night, we had a party, and we came downstairs the next morning to find a couple of friends still sitting in our living room. They told us that during the night, after everyone else had gone to bed, they'd heard sounds like someone washing up in the kitchen, which was in the next room. A couple of nights later, I was getting ready to meet one of my housemates at the pub. I was alone in the same sitting room, watching a bit of TV with my back to the door. I felt like someone was behind me, watching me. I don't know why, but I moved closer to the TV. The feeling was overwhelming. I grabbed my coat and left. Another night, I was just lying on my bedroom mattress when I sensed a male presence at the foot of my bed. I don't know how or why, but I just knew it was male. It felt as if he was curious as to who I was. My friend's boyfriend also said he felt a presence in her room too. I would never stay in that house alone overnight. This is Helen's third story. My third story concerns the old house I moved into when I was about 15 or 16. This is the house in which we lost our family dog. It's an old manor house about 300 years old. It had a shop at the front with the house at the side and the back. My parents and I used to smell matches, cigar smoke and pipe smoke in the house. We would be in the shop 
and smell toast or bacon coming from the house when there was no one there. I was coming down the stairs one evening and looked back and I swear to this day a girl in a Victorian dress ran towards the bathroom. We still had the old maid's bell in there. I started to get creeped out in the bathroom in later years. This is when I saw a man's brown shoe step past outside the bathroom door. One shoe. The shop is now a bar and the living areas are used for parties and events. After many years, I have moved back to the town and we go in every now and again for a drink. The landlady says she thinks the place is haunted. She told me of an incident when someone went upstairs to use the old toilet while the building was being renovated and they heard someone moving around outside the toilet door when nobody was there. The strangest thing was that they had a band on where my old bedroom was. My boyfriend recorded some of it on his phone. Three separate recordings. During each recording, there is static interference and it's almost as if there is something or someone talking in the background. This is Helen's fourth and final story. I was about 13 or so when my mum and dad left me home alone with a dog one evening. We lived in a 1930s semi-detached house at the time, all very nice and normal. Our dog was very placid until she went to the bottom of the stairs, looked up and started barking. All I remember was dragging her away and sitting watching TV until my parents came home. Nothing happened in that house before or since. A couple of years later, we moved to the old manor house. Our dog used to sit in front of the fire as close as she could by the side of my dining chair. After she passed away, I sensed her sitting in front of the fire next to me. I knew she was there, if only fleetingly, and then she was gone. Oh, that's so sweet. Thanks, Helen. I know a lot of people, including people from my own family, who've experienced visitations from beloved pets just after they've passed away. I think my mum, when she was last on, told a couple about one of our family pets, but early last year, my cute old teddy bear of a cat, who was just about to turn 21, sadly died, and she was called Ancho, and she was a gorgeous, grumpy, <laughs> chocolate brown British short hair cat, but she used to have this way of standing on a particular floorboard and making it creak whenever she walked on the landing, and it was in a place where us humans don't generally tread. So it only ever creaked whenever she stepped on it, and now, to this day, Day, I still hear it creak when I'm typing away at my computer and even though it might not be her and it could just be the house groaning and settling about all on its own I, I do like it because it makes me think of her even if it actually is not her. I hope it is her though because I miss her rather terribly as we all do miss our furry family members whenever it's time for them to leave us so I'm sorry that happened to you Helen. You must miss your dog a lot, but I'm really happy that you had that lovely experience in your old house by the fireplace. So thanks again to you, Helen. Those were exceedingly awesome tales. Do tell us if you managed to get those recordings together that your boyfriend made. Speaking of Helen's boyfriend, he has a weird experience of his own whenever he sits in the back room of the Last Drop Inn in York, a pub I sadly didn't mention in this episode, but he said he has the heavy sensation of an oppressive, almost storm-like feeling which makes him feel incredibly anxious, but if he moves away to the front of the pub, it immediately stops. Which is rather interesting, isn't it? Let us know if you know anything creepy or ghost-related about the Last Drop Inn in York. 
Or perhaps I'll talk about it next time we visit this magnificently beautiful and amazing North Yorkshire city. Thanks Helen, thanks Joss, and thanks to Tyne Mouth Therapies, whom I mentioned at the beginning of the last episode, because she sent us her spooky Lady Mary Berkeley picture from Chillingham Castle. I've uploaded that to social media, so if you haven't had a chance to check it out, please do so now. Thanks also to you, the listener, for listening and letting us inject a bit of Northern Soul into your day. I hope you found these ghosts to be good ones and that you were suitably entertained by them. Long live York and all who haunt her, and may her power forever compel you to never presume, because it makes an S out of you and me. <laughs> it doesn't actually, does it? See you later. Bye. 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 He probably died waiting to be served.